Hey guys, welcome to the first ever episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Thank you so much for joining us and hopping on. I'd like to thank our sponsor for today. As you guys know, our sponsors are 100% veterans, 100% of the time. Her name is Karen Hamilton, and she has a company called Beyond Nuts. So if anybody loves nuts, like my wife loves the, I like the sweet and salty. My wife loves the hot and fiery nuts. Check them out at beyondnuts.com. Guys, today's going to be an amazing episode. Um, the gentleman I'm going to have on is truly, truly an amazing person. Um, he's done a lot of great things in uniform, even better things out of uniform. He's a doctor. He's a podcast host. He's a professor. He's all that and a bag of chips. Uh, welcome, please, Dr. Luke McLeese. How are you doing, my brother? Richard, thank you so much. I'm doing wonderful. I really appreciate you having me on today, and I really appreciate this uh, crazy introduction. I'm humbled by that. Oh, man, I'm, I'm humbled that you decided to take the time out, and I apologize about earlier. Uh, we got it's still I'm looking out the window. We're, we're getting hammered with snow, so um, I do apologize, but you're here, and I'm here, so we're going to have some fun. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. So how's your day going? Man, every day is is amazing and it's such a blessing. And, and today is 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 one of those days. You know, it's it's just a good day to be alive. It's a good day to be getting things done. Uh, and on top of that, I'm thankful for not having the weather issues that uh, you're having and that <laughs> the rest of the country looks like they're having. So that's what a little, state are uh, you in now? What state are you in? I'm in uh, I'm in Tampa, Florida. Okay, so wow, you guys just won the Super Bowl. You guys are having a good year over there. It's a great year, you know. Uh, took home the Stanley Cup. Won, just won the Super Bowl. Uh, it's seventy degrees out. Like I, there's there's not a lot of things to complain about. Yeah, my son is actually looking at some of the colleges out in Tampa. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. We'll, for we'll, school, we'll have to talk offline then. There you go. Uh, so tell us a little bit, you know, where are, are you, where were you born and raised? You know, what state were you, did you come from? So I was born in Indiana. Uh, or my... Are you there? It kicked off on us again. Yep. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. So, yeah. Sometimes, like you said, it, it, when it goes on screen lock, it just kicks us off. Right. I don't know why, but. Um, but I, so I was born in Indiana, and uh, I didn't live there long uh, because of my father's job. He uh, was in the corrugated box industry at a place that no longer exists. And every, we moved every couple of years. So I lived in Delaware. I lived in New Jersey, lived in Virginia, lived in Georgia. Uh, and then finally, and then for a very brief time, I can't even say it was just a matter of months, kind of in the northern Virginia, D.C. area as well, uh, outside of living in Richmond, Virginia, for a few years. But, um, you know, uh, it, it was a. Uh, one of those deals where we just moved and moved and moved. And then finally, 
Uh, my father retired early and uh, I think he felt like he owed it to my mother for, for her enduring all these moves every couple of years. So then we wound up uh, where my mom was originally from in Western Kentucky. So what was little Luke like? Uh, pretty rambunctious character. Um, you know, I was, I'm fortunate enough to have grown up in a, in a time where uh, I, I was still in the generation of going outside and riding bikes and, you know, uh, shooting my neighbors with BB guns and, uh, but, you know, playing guns. That's probably how I wound up in the military, honestly, was the, the longstanding obsession with G.I. Joe and uh, playing toy guns with my neighbors and running around the woods. Uh, school was, was pretty monotonous and boring. So it was one of those deals where uh, I did what I had to do to get by during elementary, middle, and high school. And Now, were you a good student? Uh, I was an okay student in all subjects except for math. And there I would say I was a okay to uh, a, not a very good student at all. Okay, so now you get through high school. I mean, you, you did all right. You know, nothing, weren't shaking, you know, weren't shaking the world. Right. Um, so tell me your recruiting story because, you know, everybody has a recruiting story. And I think some of them are really, you know, really funny, but everybody's is different. What was your, what said, hey, you know, because G.I. Joe was Army. So why would you go to the Marines? <laughs> okay. So, yeah. And, you know, that's funny that you say that because I, I'm always interested in people's recruiting stories, too. And I find that as diverse as military services for everyone and the veteran experiences for everyone, uh, everyone has such a unique and interesting recruitment story, you know. And uh, so for my personal story, uh, I was in high school kind of deciding what I was going to do. Um, my parents did okay, but, but not well enough to send me to college. And so I was kind of laying out my options there. Uh, my father was an older gentleman, and he had served in World War II in the Navy. Uh, and honestly, my first thoughts were, okay, well, I eventually want to go to college, but I knew that moment in my life, you know, 18, 19 years of age was not the time uh, it, because of my disinterest in high school and, and middle school and everything that I mentioned prior. Uh, I also really wanted to see the world and knew that I couldn't afford to otherwise. And so I was just going to follow in my father's footsteps. And I was like, I'm going to join the Navy. Why not? Uh, that's what I'm going to do. And I really didn't put a lot of effort or thought into it. I just thought that's what dad did. That's what I'm going to do. And as I start to talk to uh, recruiters and my peers, I had a buddy who was joining the Marines and he and I had a long talk one day and he's like, look, man, he's like, that's great that you want to do that. But you know, when you go to these other countries, you're going to be stuck on a ship. And honestly, I had never thought about that. And of course, I was on the outside looking in and I didn't really know anything about the military period, except for a hodgepodge of uh, things in pop culture and stories that my family had, you know, told me bits and pieces of. 
So when he explained like, Hey, when we get to the, we get to the country, the Marines are going to get off the ship and actually do things. And I think that was the one thing right there. That was a major pivot for me about it. And then I talked to a few relatives and they were kind of echoing the same sentiments. Um, so that's what changed my mind. Now, ultimately, that did not go over well with my father or my mother. Um, my father was not uh, having it. My, my poor mother, uh, she cried for about two weeks straight. Um, but ultimately, you know, at that 18 years of age, I think they knew that I was going to do something else besides college at the moment. And so uh, after... I broke her heart. Uh, it was, I, I started to slowly get some support. So now tell me what it's like, you know, you moved around the country, the country a lot, but you know, um, you seem like a pretty mild mannered kind of guy. What was it like? You know, cause I know for me, it was culture shock. I came from the streets of Jersey and all of a sudden I'm with 50 guys from all over the country and I was in total, total uh, culture shock. Uh, what was your experience like going through basic with people from all over the world? Yeah, I would say pretty similar to what you experienced. You know, I, I didn't know what to expect. And then when I, I got to basic training, you know, I went to Paris Island. And um, when our South Carolina, yeah, when uh, when our platoon formed, I mean, we literally had people from all over the country, uh, all walks of life, you know, rich, poor, everything in between. We had people uh, that it was definitely an upward mobility for move. Some people trying to gain citizenship. Uh, and so that to me was, was eye opening uh, just because I thought, well, here's an example really uh, of the entire, entire patchwork of the United States. Uh, but we have them, you know, everyone in, in one place in, in this little, uh, uh, very uncomfortable island. And, and we're thrust into being, you know, living together, working together, having to, to see each other succeed. So that was a very powerful and eye-opening moment for me. Uh, and then something that is honestly, Richard, something that has kind of fueled my research, my current research, because uh, I'm very interested in the intercultural experiences of uh, military members and, and how once they leave the military as veterans, they can apply that into society. So I think it's very important too, because so many people kind of view the military as this uh, middle-class white male type organization, you know, and, and really uh, it is not. It's, it's an extremely diverse place. So it was eye-opening for me. And uh, I, I think I learned a lot quickly, e even in those tiny little moments uh, where we could have personal conversations, you know, which uh, we kind of had to, to hide and, and take those moments as they came during boot camp. But uh, I, I learned a lot in that time period. And then it just continued throughout my entire enlistment. Now, you traveled a lot, obviously. Now, you know, of course, on my shows, we never talk about war stories or anything like that because, you know, that's not what I, I'm more concerned with the wars that go on between people's ears than 
what happened overseas. So you've traveled, you traveled a lot. How many years did you actually do in the Marine Corps? So I did uh, four and a half years. Cause what I did is I did four years and then I was at a point where uh, my unit was going to be deployed and I was kind of on the cusp of getting out and I had the decision of extending to go on deployment or, you know, or, or going and being fapped out and uh, probably cleaning up trash or being a lifeguard or something. So I, and honestly, it was going to deployment and I could not see uh, letting any of my friends and my fellow brothers uh i i just couldn't see them being in harm's way and me not being there you know i knew if anything was to happen i would wrestle with the what ifs forever so i extended uh but then i will say after that extension i learned my lesson and i got out now you know i've talked to hundreds of people now on, on my podcast and um you know, some of the things that we talk about, you know, even though we're all hua hua and, you know, macho, you know, we get kind of coddled in the military where, you know, we get used to getting paid on the 1st, the 15th. You know, we get used to having TRICARE, uh, three cots in a hot, you know, three hots in a cot. And then as soon as you get out, you know, not only did you just lose your job, um, you lose the camaraderie right. and you also lose your mission. So what was your transitioning out like? Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned this because there is such a a big transition. And and I don't mean to, you know, I think sometimes we give too much attention to the negative aspects of it. And, uh, you know, the reality is the transition is extremely liberating and it's something that we all want or, or we wouldn't have decided to transition. And for those of us who stay in for a whole career, uh, I think it's one of those things that you got to be mindful. It's inevitable. Now, saying all that to say, uh, my transition, which I thought at times was pretty smooth, was actually not. Um, In fact, right off the bat. So um, I had I literally when I was discharged, so my EAS to the time I set foot on a college campus there was about two months in between that, you know, and I, and I, when I say set foot on the campus, I mean like start classes. So in between that though, um, my plan was simply to, to get out and uh, to eventually, you know, to make it to go to school. And I had that lined up, but I didn't have anything else lined up. And uh, so I honestly spent a brief period of time where I slept in a station wagon, uh, which was my car at the time. And uh, I lived and slept out of that for a few weeks and was able to find a place near a public shower. So that kind of bridged the gap of me figuring out what I was going to do for lodging and uh, then finally returning kind of near to where my parents were to start college and uh, having a place to stay and uh, being able to start school then with an actual, uh, you know, apartment. Um, Cause I felt like I was way too old. In fact, I knew I was too old for dorm life. Uh, and I was too proud to go back to where my parents were living. And so I kind of put myself in a rough position for a little while until I could get it figured out. And 
so that was like problem one uh, that I didn't really realize at the time because I was so laser focused on the goal. You know, I still had that marine drive, and and to a large point, there are definitely instances where I still do. You know, years later, but uh, I was so focused on on mission accomplishment of getting to school, like. I, I didn't even think twice about camping out in my car for a few weeks, you know, it was just what I had to do. And then getting on campus was interesting uh, because the whole GI Bill situation was different than it is now. You know, the, the guy processing paperwork was a vet himself. He would basically process paperwork in between his smoke breaks. Uh, if you didn't go and have everything done, then it wasn't getting processed. So, you know, I was dealing with that and then uh, dealing with just the, ins the just the kind of the, the climate of a campus. You know, I was used to getting things done in the Marine Corps and, and moving ultra fast if you had to. And, uh, you know, it's like it's so slow on a on a college campus. I mean, civilian life is slow, but then college campus life is even more slow so dealing with that and then dealing with um everyone just questioning why i was even there you know so what are you know you when you got out you know you were a little bit older than most freshmen right you had a lot more life experience so what was it like you know because i know then i've took some classes you know even in my 40s and 50s and i'm just sitting there and i'm like I don't even belong here. <laughs> you know, and then they start talking about technology and I'm like, I really don't belong here. But what was your experience like, you know, that first time sitting in a class when you're you're out of the military, been traveled all over the world, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're just sitting you're like the old man in the group. So what was that like? Yeah, it was it was really interesting because I felt like I was in a weird spot because I wasn't so old. I was the adult student, you know, wheeling the books around in one of those wheelie suitcases. Uh, but I wasn't the age of everyone in my classes either. So I felt, number one, like that was just a weird spot to be in. Uh, and honestly, the, the one of my first memories is uh, I was in a World Civilization 101 class. And it was a morning class, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday eight in the morning class. And, uh, you know, I did, I did what, uh, you would do for, for professional setting, uh, you know, uh, coming from the Marine mentality. I, I got showered and dressed up that morning. I looked nice class, uh, of course was at eight o'clock as I mentioned. So I got there prior, uh, to class starting, you know, I was 15 minutes prior with my books, with my notebook, uh, ready to go. And I was in total shock when people were coming in late. Uh, people were coming in in their pajamas. People, uh, were coming in and, and basically looking at their phone the whole time and then leaving, uh, leaving early. So that was a huge, huge shock to me. Because uh, I was doing all those things that I thought you should do. You know, I, I was early. I looked good. Uh, I sat in the front. I was ready to take notes. And I was the only one in the class who was doing those things. 
All right, so now you you went to college, got a bunch of degrees because you're so much smarter than I am. Um, no, no, absolutely not, absolutely not. That's 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 probably the furthest thing from the truth. Um, I honestly just had opportunities that uh, I, I had to take advantage of. You know, um, I, I had a job where I needed to at least get a master's, and um, I was able to find a program that allowed me to do that. And then when it came to uh, my doctorate degree, I was able to get into a program that paid for me to do that. So I honestly just took advantage of, of kind of the little, I, I view it like in the Marine Corps, there were little opportunities. And if I really wanted them, I had to exploit them, you know, uh, just like in a firefight. And that's what I did. And, and that's the that's the key ingredients to, to me moving up. It definitely has nothing to do with smarts. Um, and especially at the doctoral level, uh, all that means is I was able to sit in a chair and research and type for months on end. That's, that's it. And, and I frame that as, you know, I am in a warm house uh, with a loving family. No one is shooting at me. I don't have to eat MREs. So if all I have to do is type, I can handle it. So now tell, talk about your mission, what you're doing now, you know, then we're going to talk about your podcast later, but talk about your heart of service, especially with veterans. Absolutely. Um, and thank you for asking that because it's, it's something that has driven me so hard. So uh, like I mentioned, I had, I had a lot of weird points in my transition and um, it was, you know, after a few years, I started noticing from I went from thinking, okay, I'm alone. I'm there's something must be wrong with me and, and what I'm doing because uh, I'm I'm not quite fitting in. You know, I'm not in the military anymore. However, uh, I noticed when I tell people I have been in the Marines, how some civilians react to that. So I felt like I was in a weird place, and, and years and years, uh, I start noticing more and more uh, until it becomes you know, an overt topic in the veteran community. Well, as I'm noticing this and thinking about how things are lining up and, and maybe I could contribute a little tiny slice of a voice there, uh, I do have the fortune of uh, I'm teaching at Eastern Kentucky University and it just so happens, this is another one of those coincidences, but it just so happens that they had formed the world's first veteran studies program. And so when I got acquainted with that, I was like, this is amazing. I mean, it's like, this is what the world needs uh, to educate people what the veteran experience truly is like, right? And, and for people to understand uh, that they're, and, and when I say people like the, the civilian public at large, for them to understand they're really operating off a ton of stereotypes and, and things in the media that have misled them. So I was fortunate enough to, I applied to uh, teach in the program and I taught in the program and then I started researching and writing. And that led me to really think about veterans in academics and what was going on because what happened is quickly a whole bunch of universities started making minors started making uh certificates 
and it started growing like wildfire. In fact, today they call it the, the nation's fastest growing academic field. But I was really, really, really disappointed with all of the great research and things we we're finding how it just stayed in this academic vacuum. Right. And I was like, man, we go to these conferences and people are talking about great things and things that could really make a difference in other people's lives. But it all kind of was just recirculated in this group of people. So I really started wrestling and, and took me years to, to kind of come to a conclusion of what to do. But I wanted to take these ideas and concepts and, and ways to break these stereotypes and get them out to the market uh, somehow, not necessarily to make oodles of money, but just to reach a wider audience and be able to apply all the good stuff that was going on to the public where it really could help. So um, after a long time of, of wrestling, uh, I met some like-minded people, and then it was very apparent, apparent to me that uh, we should incorporate and start working on this project. So that's how the Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank was born. And our sole mission at Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank is to educate about veterans and is to educate veterans. So what we're doing is we've created the world's first veteran-centric uh, kind of HR training and uh, some products that we're developing. And we go and we teach organizations and individuals about the veteran experience and, and how they can capitalize that on the workplace, but also how they can improve the quality of life and understand the people that they're working with. And so that kind of led to a whole bunch of little side projects to support that. And, and we are a young company, uh, but we're growing quickly. And we have just had some uh, great beta testing that's, that's been very successful with some kind of mid-level uh, retail companies, uh, a housing organization, and then a, a couple individuals that uh, have all been able to provide us feedback. And, and we're ready to, to really put things out kind of in mass now. You know, and I, and I love that because, you know, like I said, you know, when a lot of girls and guys and girls get out of the military, you know, they really do not have a clue of what to do next, you know. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of people like myself, you know, I had a lot of trauma in my life. And usually, you know, it, when an adult acts out um, as an adult is because of something that happened between the ages of three and 13. Right. And then you add military to it, maybe war, and then you add alcohol to the mix. Uh, it becomes a perfect storm and nobody ever, there is no booklet or ebook to tell you how to get out of the perfect storm. And, and then when they get out, then they lose the camaraderie and then they, they, they lose their mission and then they're just like totally lost. So I think something like, you know, what you're doing um, is a is a total is a total game changer. What has been some of your um, the feedback on the things that you have been doing? So when it comes to the activities at the Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank, 
uh, extremely positive. Uh, in fact, a few of the organizations that we've met with and consulted the past couple weeks, um, I tell you from from the civilian side, uh, people who have no military experience, but maybe you know are associated some way or know someone who knows someone, you know they they have thanked us and been very appreciative of opening their eye to uh, veterans as a population and the cross-sectional identities of the veteran experience and and the true representation. Because so many people were like, okay, you know, in this past year with so much uh, unrest and, and so much push for social justice, we didn't understand about the issues of veterans really being a, a very diverse, like we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, you know, very diverse population, but then they're a very diverse minority when they get out of service. And I mean, of all ethnicities, of all social economic backgrounds, everything, they're a minority now within the United States's larger population. And so, so many people don't think about that. You know, uh, they just take people at face value and go the other way. So they've been very appreciative that their eyes been open to that and that they know now uh, there are some very strong attributes that veterans bring to the table. But they also have some unique needs and outlooks due to their experiences. And on top of that, the people in these organizations that are former military, a lot of them have thanked us because we address certain aspects of their service that they, you know, they say, well, that was hard for me to talk about because I didn't deploy and I've always viewed myself as this, or, uh, you know, I had trouble in the military because of this. And, you know, so we, we try to line out all these experiences and, and tell the public what the truth is, you know, it's not all, uh, 4th of July parties and, homecoming reunions and all these things that the media focuses on that it's very complex. So it's been very big. And, and every time we, we start to uh, talk about what we're doing to other organizations, they latch on immediately. And that's, that's been the biggest thing is people, I think we're at a good point because people are starting to realize the need for this uh, is past due. Yep. And, you know, like, you know, since having my podcast, you know, I've interviewed, like I said, hundreds of people on my other show. And now this one, um, a lot of females and males have actually come out, you know, dealing with military sexual trauma. Absolutely. And, you know, in the last year, which, which is something it was pretty much unheard of, you know, for people to be, you know, coming out and talking about it and getting the issue out, you know, into the front. You know, because, you know, you figure if you add 100 people from all over the world and put them in one space, there's going to be drama. (laughs) Right. You know, there's going to be clicks. You know, there's going to be, you know, like a lot of the northern people are going to hang out with the northerns, southern, southerns, you know, and it and it's like any other uh, family is you're all going to you're going to have issues with a lot of people, you know, Um, and why I went in in 86 where. You know, if me and another guy had a problem, we went behind the tank, beat the crap out of each other, went back and had a beer and it was over. Right, right. But now with the, with the age of social media and everything being, you know, hyper focused on, on every little thing, it's kind of like the military has started to get a uh, it was getting a much better name after 
and then it seems to be getting a little, you know, kind of like police officers, you know, they're st- it's starting to get a little bit tarnished now. And I see a lot of, you know, well, one thing I see a lot of vets, I want to talk about what you're doing is, you know, when they get out, like I talked to yesterday, one of the, um, uh, he was, he's high up in the veterans administration. And, you know, a lot of times we say, you know, I get out and I can't find a job. But a lot of times, if you look at a veteran's resume, it's going to be having so many different veteran slang terms that it just gets pushed to the side because, you know, somebody in, in Barclays say they're going to look at it and be like, I don't understand what all this means. So it's just going to go to the back of the pile, you know? So how do you guys help with, you know, a veteran that's transitioning out? Um, How do you guys help them? You know, like you said, having a quality of life, how do you guys help with having a quality of life? So our approach is to reach into those organizations that are doing the hiring. And, you know, that's part of our education process. Our education process, it, it, part of that is showing the social structure of the military and veteran experience and, and you know, helping, helping the organization understand, like, look, this individual says that they did this job for four years. However, four years in the military is more like seven and eight years in the civilian world because so many jobs you're working 24 hours a day and you're at the discretion of a company commander to be called back at any moment and all these other things that civilians don't think about. We also, uh, you know, we also talk to them about some of these things with resumes and with uh, veteran writing and stuff like this. So many organizations are like, okay, well, we need this report done. And the veteran that we hired only put five sentences down. And so we explain to them, like, okay, well, in the military culture, uh, it's, it's to the point. Uh, it's very specific and it's very clear. And that's it. There's no fluff. Uh, same thing with the resume. We, we're like, hey, you know, these people have been out uh, doing certain jobs that swim in acronyms and the truth is uh the military members usually do a pretty decent job of whittling down some acronyms on resumes however there's so many and there's some things that simply are hard to translate into a civilian type framing so they leave it at that hoping someone's going to give them an interview and explain that so we explain that to organizations, you know, and, and we explain that to the individuals that have uh, approached us. And usually these individuals are like small business owners who are interested in hiring veterans uh, or one was an educational institution, uh, a consultant that was that was interested in working more with veterans. So we kind of we kind of do it from the other side in and, and show them what to expect now. I will say in a casual way, uh, we are banking up a whole bunch of information for veterans for transition, whether it's to higher education or it's to the workforce. And our intentions are to put those out for free on YouTube. Uh, We're making these little vignettes like two minutes or less, and they're going to be on all these topics that Uh, you know, a lot of employers aren't readily talking about or a lot of universities aren't talking about uh, to help the veteran kind of start getting in this mindset and understanding what they need to do 
and how they can better help themselves. Now, uh, whether you notice or not, uh, you're in your podcast is one of my top five podcasts that I listen to every episode. Huh, that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, you know, because, you know, I, I only have a, a ninth grade formal education, um, but I've read over 5000 books. And, you know, I try I love to learn and learn. And your podcast is it's about education and it's, it's very educational. So can you please talk about a little bit about your podcast? why you started your podcast and some of the things you're doing with your podcast. Absolutely. So uh, my podcast is veterans and academics and we've got things chunked out right now. What we're focusing on are veterans who are in either uh, higher education faculty administration or some kind of staff role. And usually it's the staff that serve uh, veterans in some capacity. And the reason why this was started is because so as I got involved in veteran studies, I noticed more and more that there were other veterans who had a similar story that I did. And the story typically was some version like this. You go onto a college campus um, and, you know, you do your nerd talk with the other faculty and staff and you kind of size each other up with your degrees and all this kind of outdated stuff. And they find out you have a doctorate. So then they automatically assume that you uh, were an officer in the military, right? And then when you tell them, oh, no, I wasn't, I was actually enlisted, <laughs> then they uh, typically kind of turn their back on you or question how you can be there. And so that was born out of that kind of unspoken dialogue of there being a glass ceiling in higher education. So we wanted to have people tell their own stories, kind of like we did today here. How did you get involved in the military? What was your time in the military like? But then we take it to what, how is your veteran experience informing what you do uh, in higher education, your research or your, you know, your job, and then what can we expect to see from you in the future? So it really showcases people. But what happens is you get a personal story out of the podcast. You get someone's transitional story. So far, everyone we have interviewed, uh, it becomes this great kind of mix of how were they successful? How did they persevere? Um, what was the route they took? And no one has ever, ever explored this at all in any form of media. So it has been uh, it's been very eye opening with the feedback we've gotten, how positive it is, because I think so many people uh, I was afraid that so many people would see the word veteran and see the word academic together and then run the other way. Uh, but it's been quite the opposite. Okay, so now, you know, the time's winding down a little bit. Um, most, a lot of people that are going to listen to this are veterans, but it's going to be a, a business-centric also. So there's going to be a lot of podcasters going to listen to this. What are some of the things you wish you would have known before you started podcasting? Man, that's a great question. Um, I, I tell you, the, probably the biggest thing, and, and this is for any 
entrepreneur, anybody interested in podcasting, because, you know, more and more now people are are like, you have to build your brand up with podcasts. And I I agree and disagree with that. However, I do think it's a great avenue. Uh, I think the largest thing is I wish someone would have told me how much time it takes to edit a good episode. Uh, And for all your listeners, I'll just tell you what I've uncovered. I believe it is three minutes of editing to every minute of, of stuff you capture. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I, I would say how to find sponsors. Um, because we grew a listener base pretty fast. And then it was apparent to us by the feedback, what we were doing was good, but we also had opportunity to pivot and do some other things. Uh, and so there was kind of a lack of early scalability we could have had if we had some income coming in to help uh with our editing <laughs> uh you know so i i i really you know i like i said i, I listen to every episode and, and i've learned a lot um because like i said i'm i thirst for knowledge um now last two questions how do we get in touch with you how do we find your podcast you know how do how do we um find out what you're doing and and keep in contact with you. Excellent. Thank you. So uh, to find the podcast, uh, just veterans and academics, uh, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us at all the places where, where there are podcasts uh, and you can download and subscribe. And each week we release every Thursday. So we're going to have an episode coming out later today. And, uh, we are working on some more content of some shorter things coming up. So we appreciate uh, everyone supporting all the people that we have on because uh, we are growing a, a very, very, very robust community. Um, to get in touch with me, you can look up uh, the website fptt.org. That's the Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Uh, we're currently doing a little work on it. However, there is uh, some ways to get a hold of me there. And just Luke at FPTT.org uh, is my email address associated with the business. Um, and as well, if with my day job uh, at the university, Ernest.McLeese, M-C-C-L-E-E-S, at stleo.edu. Cool. Now, last question. Um, if I ask the average person to do something in the next seven days, uh, because, you know, we live in such a busy society, it'll probably never get done. But if I say, you know, um, I want you to do something in the next 24 hours, a person's more likely to take that. Step. So if you know somebody that's struggling, you know, especially transitioning out of the military or is just struggling in general, uh, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to write the ship? Man, that's great, Richard. And I like the way that you're framing this because really it, you do have to make an action on it. Right. And uh, I've had periods probably, probably some different than yours and probably some similar to yours, but I will, I will tell you this. I think all of our periods when we hit a rough spot, Uh, really boil down to what's going on in between our two ears, right? Uh, And that thought process can be the most motivating or can be the most crippling thing in the entire world. So 
I'd say number one, if you have 24 hours, I, I would assess your thinking, right? Think about why you're concentrating on a situation or playing back a memory or uh, dealing with a, a transition or a life stressor in a negative way. Frame that mind. And then step two, I would reach out to someone, right? Uh, and anyone, uh, call a friend, uh, call someone that you know from business, call a healthcare provider, call the VA. And it doesn't have to be anything wildly uh, drastic or traumatic or uh, anything like that, but talk to that person. Talk to that person and let them know, like, hey, I'm stuck in my head, I'm replaying X, Y, and Z, you know, whatever you're comfortable about sharing. And then start there. Start there just by reaching out and letting someone know and, and letting them know why. Well, I appreciate, you know, you coming on today. You know, now that we've talked, you know, I consider you a friend and a family member. And if there's anything I can ever do to support your mission, please let me know. Um, and, for, and guys, like I said, I just want to thank um, our sponsor for today, Karen Hamilton of Beyond Nuts. If you guys love nuts, uh, flavored nuts, I mean, like, like I said, my wife for Christmas orders me a whole box of sweet and salty nuts. And she's a veteran also, so a veteran-owned company. So if you support veterans and love nuts, go to beyondnuts.com. Bro, thank you so much for coming on, and I appreciate you. And keep on putting out great content. You're doing an amazing job. Well, Richard, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm very humbled. And same to you. I really, I really am glad that you're doing this. I'm, I'm glad that you've got a voice out there and that you're helping people in their transition. You're helping uh, veterans that are interested in uh, entrepreneurship and startups. This is huge, too. So likewise, anything me or my organization can do to help support you and anyone out there listening, uh, I'm happy to do so always. So I really appreciate it, Richard. And you are the first guest on this podcast. So that, that's pretty cool. And I just will also want to say, you know, I should have said it before. I apologize. But. Thank you for being a brother in Christ, because that is the most important thing to me is being a brother in Christ. So thank you Absolutely. so much. Thank you, Richard. All right. God bless my brother. And this will be out probably in the next in the next week. It'll, it'll probably go out tomorrow because I'm going to put all my episodes out on Friday. Awesome. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thank Have you a great too. day. Thank you.